Welcome to Shouts of Grace Radio, hosted by Pastor Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. At Shouts of Grace Radio, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Today, we're taking a break from our regular format to listen in on a Sunday sermon given by Pastor Steve at Redemption Hill Church. Now, get your Bible ready and follow along. If you have a Bible this morning, turn to Exodus chapter 2. If you don't, you can scan the QR code behind me. That'll take you to our text this morning. Um, really encourage you guys to, to hang out afterwards um, for, um, for the newcomers thing. If it's your first time here, you're, you're invited. Um, you know, people look for different things in a church. Um, one of the things I will let you know, and we're unapologetic about it at this church, is we are going to teach the Bible. Um, And we're not going to apologize for what it brings to you. There are times when you will go through God's word and it is encouraging. But I can't tell you as a pastor and a leader at this church that our goal is to make sure you walk out of here encouraged every week because that may not be God's desire. Sometimes God brings correction, right? And God wants to correct people and he does it in his word. Sometimes God brings conviction, deep conviction, and, and God wants you to walk out with that. And there are times when God will bring encouragement, right? And that will be one of the things that is this morning. I was deeply encouraged by the message preparing this week myself personally. But regardless of what God does, I want you guys to know the goal of Redemption Hill is never motivational speaking. Because you have not come here to waste an 40 minutes of your time to make yourself feel good, to have yourself feel good about yourself when you walk out if God wants to talk to you about something different. And so our prayer is that you would come in and you would come in if you know God with an open heart to be able to receive what his word says. That's why we actually go through the full counsel of God. I don't, I don't look at people's lives because I don't know people's lives and say, well, today I think I'm going to aim at the back row, left side, because they're really jacked up. And they, and they need a message from God, and, and I know what's going on in their lives. We go through the word, and we end, where, end up where we end up, and God serves it up to you. And so this morning, I believe for a lot of people, this is going to be extremely encouraging. You guys, in 29 years of walking with the Lord, I can tell you this. One of the hardest things as a Christian for me has been understanding what God is doing while he's doing it right, while he's doing it. I don't have a problem looking back in hindsight, right? Like you go through an issue, you go through a problem in your life, a situation, three, five, ten years down the road, you look back and you go, ah, I could see what God was doing now, or at least a portion of it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But the hardest part is when you're in the middle of it and you're going through it and you're scratching your head and you're looking for answers and you're praying and you're asking God, Lord, what is up here? Like, I gave you my life. I'm trusting you. Why are they treating me that way? Why am I going through this? Why is this happening in my life? And you don't get the answers in the moment. That is a very difficult thing to go through. And people will share truth with you, and it's truth, right? Isaiah 55, 8, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. That's great, right? God, that's, that's a truth. God is saying, look, I don't owe you an explanation. And even if I told you, you wouldn't get it because my ways are not your ways. But the bottom line, you guys, is it still doesn't help me when I'm trying to figure out in the moment, God, why this? Why this? Right? And when that answer 
evades me because I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm asking God, Lord, why did my mom die? Why did my dad have an aneurysm? Why did my brother or sister get in a car accident? Why did they die so early? Why do I have cancer at 35 years old? Why, why, why? When I'm going through it, it's difficult. And when that answer, you guys, evades us, if we're being truthful to ourselves, we would say that at some point, a question in our mind arises, God, are you even listening to me? Have you, are you even hearing me? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You, you feel what I'm, what I'm throwing at you. You've been there. And you're like, God, am, am I in sin? Am I doing something wrong? Because I don't hear you. I'm the one doing all the talking, and you ain't answering back. If you've been in that position, you guys, you're in good company. Because people that were very close to God before you went through that. King David who is said to be a man after God's own heart, in Psalm 22, two, said, oh my God, I cry day and night, but you don't answer. David is saying, I am calling out to you and you ain't there. When Job went through his most difficult season in life, you guys, he says in Job 30, 20, when I cry out for help, you don't answer me, but you stand and you look at me. The picture he's painting is he's going through all this stuff. His family is dead. His wealth is gone. There's boils all over him. His friends are the worst friends you could ever have. And while he's crying out to God, he paints the picture. You're just looking at me like, hey, that's cool. What's up? I don't know. You guys, some of the godliest people have prayed and heard nothing or at minimum have, ex have experienced great delay and God answering them. And so there's no way around this, you guys. To believe that God is in the waiting, folks, is a huge step of faith. What does that mean? It means to believe that from the time that you pray for something until the time that God answers it, there's a space in there. And it is faith to believe that God is in that space and he's doing something, even though you can't, you know, see it or imagine it. And some of you have waited. How many of you prayed for something and you've waited and you've waited and you've waited and you've waited? Yeah. Most people, those of you online, just touch the screen. We'll feel your heat. <laughs> imagine, you guys, that you weren't waiting for a month or two months or three months. Imagine you weren't waiting for a year or five years or 20 years. Imagine you were waiting for 400 years. Because that is what the children of Israel were waiting for when they went into bondage and they cried out to God generation after generation, save us, deliver us. This is wrong. This is harsh. They're beating us. They're raping our women. This is wrong. Do you see? Help us. For 400 years they did that and believed, you guys, that God was hearing them but then started to question it. No God, no person would do that. Make me wait and hurt for 400 years. Certainly not a God of love, the skeptics would say. You guys, we left off in Exodus chapter 1 last week with the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, giving the command to kill all the male children of the Hebrews. If you're new to the Bible, when you see the word Hebrews, it's the same as Jews or the children of Israel. And so the decree was given to first these Hebrew midwives. Whenever you deliver a male, a male child, throw them into the Nile. And they wouldn't. 
And so we're told at the end of chapter 1 in Exodus that Pharaoh went to his own people, and he got his way. Evil still prevailed. And you remember, as we closed up last week, we made a mention that, listen, sometimes evil's going to prevail, but if it prevails, let it not be through the people of God. Let the world use its own people and its own ideologies and its own system to advance evil, but let not the church or a Christian grab onto it and advance it. And that's exactly how chapter 1 ended. Chapter 2 is going to pick up that story, but it's going to focus in on the decree's impact on one family. So the decree went out. Kill all the male kids. There's too many. There's a nation within a nation. These Israelites are going to rise up and fight, and we're going to lose control. So kill them all, all the kids, the males. And now the story in Exodus 2, amidst that decree, hones in on one particular family, the family of Amram and Jehoshabed. Amram and Jehoshabed had three children, Aaron, Miriam, and a man who would be named Moses. Jehoshabed... You guys had Moses during the time of this command. And so, as she had her child, her newborn child, she hid him. As you're going to see in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, you can read it on your own. It's about how Moses was saved from the slaughter. The decree went out, and what happened is Jehoshaphat and her daughter Miriam had a plan. When they couldn't hide the baby anymore, because there comes a point where you just can't ha- hide an infant. Amen? Yeah, some of you are like, yeah. <laughs> they just go for it, man. They unload, and it's like, oh, they sing like Kate, but it's just got, it's just not, not got tone to it, and it hurts, you know, sometimes, the ears. <laughs> when he couldn't be hidden anymore, they knew he would die, so they put him in a basket, and they had a plan. Miriam knew that Pharaoh's daughter would come out to a certain place to bathe, and so she went and took the basket and she put it in the reeds, the tall weeds next to the water, right where she would come out. And so sure enough, when Pharaoh's daughter came out one day, she saw a basket that was there. She sent her servant over, they grabbed the basket, and she saw an infant in there. And immediately Pharaoh's daughter knew, and this is in those first 10 verses, this is one of the decrees that my, these are one of the children that are a victim of the decree that my father, Pharaoh, had placed on the Israelites. And so as soon as that happened, Miriam jumps out from behind the the reeds and says, hey, um, the baby's really young, do you need someone to nurse it? And she's like, yeah, I do. And so she goes, hold on, I'll go get a Hebrew nurse. She goes and she grabs Jehoshabed, the, the, the baby's mother, Moses' mother, right? The, the, the daughter of Pharaoh has no idea what's happening. So they bring Jehoshabed back. She goes, look, I'm going to pay you wages. Can you take care of this kid? I mean, isn't God good? I mean, if you're going if, 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 if to save your kid and you're going to basically get your kid into a safe place, he, he, he brings the kid back and lets her nurse the baby until, you know, for three months and then pays her on top of that. I mean, God's good. Amen. Anyway, once that time was over, Jehoshaphat delivers Moses, or hasn't been named Moses yet, delivers the baby back to, back to the daughter of Pharaoh, and she names him Moses, and he becomes royalty. All the while, the children of Israel are praying, God, this isn't fair. God, what's going on? When are you going to deliver us? This isn't right. We've been praying and praying. You're not there. You're not answering. Well, Moses gets older, you guys. And I want to pick up the story in Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. 
says, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to the people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that way, seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and he killed him and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, those two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to a man, the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid. And he thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Verse 16. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and they drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flocks. The shepherds came and they drove them away. But Moses stood up and he saved them and he watered their flocks. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Verse 11 says, one day when Moses had grown up. I want to give us some perspective here so we can grasp the weight of the last three verses that we're going to read this morning. We haven't read them yet, right? Um, we'll read them in a minute. In Deuteronomy 34.7, it says that Moses was 120 years old when he died. 120 years old. And if you look in the Bible, the life of Moses is separated into three sections of 40 years. Okay, three sections of 40 years. Exodus chapter 2 doesn't tell us what happened in the space between the time he was drawn from the reeds and the time that he killed an Egyptian. Doesn't give us any, any, you know, it's 40 years. That's all it is, and we know that. But it doesn't give us any life there. It's just very vague. And so I want to give us a little bit of life there so we can understand the magnitude of what we're going to read as we close up. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7... There's a man talking by the name of Stephen. He's the first martyr in the Christian faith. He's standing before a group of religious people. And as he's sharing with them, he starts to give them a history lesson of all of what has happened in Israel. He brings them right up to the present, and then he just socks them in the gut, and he says, and you killed the Messiah. What the entire scripture spoke of, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, right on down the line, you murdered him. And then they pick up stones and they kill him. But as he's given this, this history lesson with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he then moves to jo Joseph and how Joseph brought the children of Israel into Egypt. When he gets to Moses, in his part of this historical review, here, here's what he says, and I believe it adds to what we just read in Exodus. Exodus 7 verse 20 says this. At this time, Stephen says, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him as her own son. So Luke is recording the very words that we just read here, right? And he's saying that, that when Jehosh Jehoshaphat delivered Moses to the palace, basically, that became Pharaoh's nephew, adopted nephew. He was royalty. 
You guys, it lasted about three months while they were in the home, and then he was delivered to the palace. Look at verse 22. Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in word and in deed. In other words, you guys, he was in fact a prince of Egypt, right? It, you know, whatever the, is it Pixar came up with it or Disney or whoever, it, they borrowed it. <laughs> you know, he was it says he was educated in all of Egypt, meaning he knew all about the Egyptian gods, right? He knew all about their history. He was rich. He had, he had everything, the jewels. He had the status. And he was notable, it says, in might indeed. In other words, this guy had notoriety. He was somebody in Egypt. Remember that. Log that. Acts 7, verse 23. When Moses was 40 years old, there's your first section of life. When Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them be wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Listen, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they didn't. They were crying out for a deliverer. God, do you hear us? God, do you hear us? A baby is born. 40 years goes by. Here he is. He kills an Egyptian. And Moses is thinking, yo, I'm here. I'm here to deliver you. And they didn't understand. They didn't get it. Verse 26. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling. And Stephen's continuing and tried to reconcile the brothers. And he said, why do you wrong each other? But the man thrust him aside and said, who has made you judge and ruler over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? As Moses, at that, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he had fathered two sons. Now verse 30. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him. And we're going to look at that next week. So understand, the first 40 years ends with him murdering an Egyptian and going off into the wilderness. The next 40 years ends when he's fathered two children and he's going to see a burning bush. So when Moses goes to the burning bush in Exodus 3, that dude's 80 years old. Follow me here, you guys. We're told that Moses was royalty. He grew up adopted, right? He was mighty, he spent 40 years or so of his life being just the man in Egypt. Then listen, without explanation, we see him mingling with the Hebrews. That's unthinkable. A prince doesn't mingle with slaves. Without explanation, all of a sudden, Moses is hanging out with the quote-unquote lowlifes in Egypt. What's going on? What happened? There's something that is missing there that, that's not filling in the gap of the story. Well, we need one more bit of information. If you have a Bible, you're taking notes. Hebrews 11, verse 23. When we get into Hebrews 11, it's called the Paul. These are the people that died in faith in the Old Testament. And when we get to Moses' life, the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 11:23. This is important. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, when Moses was grown up, listen, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, he considered the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. By faith he left Egypt, 
not being afraid of the king. You guys, let's assemble the pieces here so we can understand the magnitude of the last three verses that we're going to read. The people were oppressed. They were crying out for a deliverer. 400 years, God wasn't answering them. They were starting to wonder, is he even there? Is he even listening? To add injury, to insult, to, you know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh commands the kids to die. And so now they're even worse. And the baby boy from Amron and Jehoshaphat was in that number. And so they hide him. And then they deliver him to the palace. And when he becomes a prince of Egypt, he lives the better part of 30 years of his life or so being educated in the world around him. And something happened. Something happened, you guys, where in that time, Moses became aware of the fact that he wasn't an Egyptian. Maybe he had a conversation with, his, with Pharaoh's daughter, his mom, one day, and she said, look, I got to tell you something. You know, you're not Egyptian, and his world is crushed. Maybe he ran in because they were a stone's throw away. Maybe he ran in to his real mom one day and his sister. And maybe they are the ones that shared it. Listen, you're a son of the Hebrews, not of the Egyptians. You guys, whatever happened, Moses was left at a place where he had to make a decision. Do I continue to live this fake life? Do I continue to have all the riches or do I go with my people and do what's right? And so sometime before the age of 40, he rejected Egypt, and he chose to suffer with his people. You guys, Moses is said to be a type of Christ. And so when you look, you see a lot of similarities. Wasn't it Jesus who left royalty to serve in the trenches? Moses leaves royalty to serve in the trenches, you guys. The people, and now Moses, are crying out for help, right? Does anybody hear? And at age 40, you guys now believing himself to be the deliverer, according to Stephen's word, he strikes down an Egyptian, and they reject him. You're going to be a prince over us? They reject him. You know what, first, you know what John chapter 1, verse 11 says? That Jesus came unto his own, and his own didn't receive him. There's a lot of type here, you guys. And so he leaves Egypt, he begins his next 40 years, according to Stephen's words, and all the while, the people are crying. They're crying, where's our, where's our deliverer? And he spends 40 years, his last 40 years, he'll spend in the wilderness. And so I want you to see this before we read these last verses. The people are desperate. I don't know if you've ever been there. The people are desperate. Something's got to change. We can't keep going like this. God, if you're real, show yourself. Do something. All the while over here, God is giving birth to the deliverer, and God is maturing him, and God is raising him up. They have no idea in their pain what's happening over here, that God is answering their prayer. They're not privy to the information that it's happening. They just can't see it. And so what happens in answer to their prayer? He gives them the deliverer. 40 years old, and when he shows himself, I'm here, they reject him, and he goes into Midian for another 40 years. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, God? Is this the answer to your prayer, our prayer? Did you, you tease us, and then you send him off for another? We're not talking about a year, people. We're talking about 40 more years. Is this a sick joke, God? That's how much you care about us? Here's your deliverer, but not yet. He'll come back one day. 
You guys, some of you feel this in your gut because you've prayed and you've asked God and you've been asking God for something and it's your 80 years. Seems like he's not there. Seems like he's not answering. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace Radio with Pastor Steve Pearson. We hope that you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If you've been encouraged in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at shoutsofgraceradio.com. At shoutsofgraceradio.com, you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. Thank you again for joining us on today's show. And from all of us at Shouts of Grace, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ.